A fascinating thing that has come to my attention over the past couple years is a boy's perception of his own strength. (laughs) That's marvelous. Our two-year-old son is convinced, uh, Adam preached that some of his children think that he is the strongest man in the world. Our two-year-old son is convinced that he is the strongest (laughs) man in the world. And I don't know where he learns it, but he'll be walking through the house and just randomly stop just start flexing his muscles and looking around to see if anybody's looking. And he talks quite well for a two-year-old, but when he starts flexing, like his sentences just redu- reduce down to maybe two or three words at the most, like "I strong" or "I wrestle" or "I throw" or "I beat you," you know. And so he completely overestimates his own strength and his ability, and inevitably it causes him to do some things that are quite funny, but they. They end up hurting him quite a bit. So several weeks ago, he's convinced, and he would not be talked out of the fact that he can jump across the room. So he stands up on the couch, face first, right into his side of a chair. Blood gushing everywhere. And he's thoroughly disappointed that... He didn't care that he was bleeding, but he wanted to make it across the room. So this false perception of his strength actually causes him grave danger. And so it is also with our Christian walk that we're we're going to be seeing here in Ephesians 6. If you guys want to turn there, Ephesians 6. We see that for us as well, spiritually, this false perception of strength can cause our souls grave danger. First, we're going to see that we don't realize who the enemy is. And then also, we end up exalting ourselves, trying to do it of our own strength rather than Admitting that we're frail and we're weak and we're vapors and thus exalting Christ in His work through us. So with that, Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to be looking at verses 10 all the way down to 17. Ephesians 6, verses 10 all the way down to 17. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take on the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. This is the Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we, we want to be strong in you as, as a church, as families, as individuals. We want to be strong in you. And we realize that our lives are little more than vapors here today, gone tomorrow. Yet we think that we are mighty. We are nothing more than dirt from the ground that you have given the breath of life in us. Yet we continually think our lives are our own. God, I pray that Your Word would be abundantly true to us, God, and that You would show Yourself faithful to us even in this time, God, that we, 
through this next week that we be recalling Your strength and how we can live not in and of ourselves, but God, how we can live in Your strength, declaring our weakness, but exalting our mighty Savior. Amen. So our main point that we're going to be working under today is that we need to find our strength in the Lord. Find our strength in the Lord. So that's going to be verse 10. There's going to be that first point as well. We're going to be looking at, what does it look like? What is, what is the strength of the Lord? What is, actually is it? And then verses 11 and 12, we're going to be seeing why do we need to be strong? Why do we need it? What is it? Why do we need it? And then finally, verses 13 through 17, talking about the armor of God, we're going to see how is this accomplished. Okay, so I, I know what it is. I understand why I need it. How do we do it? That's going to be verses 13 through 17. So number one, the strength of the Lord. Let's go back to the text. We're just going to read this first uh, verse. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. And the strength of the Lord is on display since... Go to Genesis 1. The first couple words, right out of Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And from that moment on, friends, you only have two classes. You have the Creator and you have the created. You have the Creator from whom all power and dominion and authority flows. And then you have the created who have nothing except any authority they have is going to be given from the Father. And so, friends, we see that any notion we have as created beings, any notion that we have that we have any strength in and of ourselves is completely demolished right in Genesis 1.1. Yet the narrative continues and we try to do it in and of ourselves. And the strength of the Lord is, continues to be displayed throughout the rest of the Old Testament. That's Genesis. Go on to Exodus. God calls Moses with a burning bush, tells him to go to Pharaoh and says, let my people go. And the same word that we have here, this, the strength of the Lord in the, in the Septuagint, so the, Greek test, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, is, is used here as well about God's strength, the strength that He has, this dominion He has over the heart of Pharaoh, which is like the idyllic picture of an earthly power, all concentrated in one man. And here, as you see in Exodus 9, Paul's, or God says through Moses, But for this purpose I have raised you up, raised up uh, Pharaoh, to show you my power that my name may be proclaimed in all of the earth. So the power of God is on display even through these earthly rulers. And with a mighty hand, God does redeem His people out of slavery and out of Egypt. And we're reminded of this when Moses is pleading He's not, he's not going to go into the promised land, but he's pleading with God that he might be able to go into the promised land. In Deuteronomy 3, we see this, and he cries out to God, O oh Lord God, You have only begun to show Your servant Your greatness and Your mighty hand. For what God is there in heaven and earth that can do such works and mighty acts as Yours? Friends, there's nothing. There's absolutely nothing. And this continues on throughout the rest of the Old Testament. So it is not the ingenuity of men or the cunning of men that has risen these empires from the dusty streets of Nineveh and Babylon and Athens and Rome. No, 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 friends, it was, it was God. The power of God is on display, not only in creation, not only in the hearts of earthly rulers that we see in Pharaoh, but also nations as a whole 
are being raised up under the power of God, being brought down under the power of God. You don't have to turn there, but you can see this in Habakkuk. He's, Habakkuk is crying out to God, Oh God, how long, how long? And he gets the response he doesn't anticipate. God says, I am raising up this nation, this Chaldeans. They're going to come and they're going to be my administers of justice against the ungodliness within Israel. So God replies back to Habakkuk the first time, and he says, Look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, the Babylonians. I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. So you see the self-glorifying strength of the Lord that is on display. And we see this throughout the Old Testament through creation itself and in the hearts of individuals. Pharaoh, and then you also see it with, um, with the nations as a whole as God raises them up and brings them down. And that's just the Old Testament. So go ahead and turn to the Gospels. In, the, in Mark, you have Mark 2, you have this healing of the paralytic. With the un- they unroof the roof, it says in the Greek. So they unroof the roof and bring him down, and God heals him in a miraculous way. You have the feeding of the 4,000, the feeding of the 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. The power of God being displayed. The Gospel of John. You have this raising up of Lazarus, which is a picture of what's to come later in the Gospel of John, which is the, the pinnacle of it all. Jesus Christ Himself conquering death and being raised up under this mighty power of God. We talked about it in, in chapter 1 of Ephesians here. It says when Paul is praying for them and he wants them to know the immeasurable greatness of his power, of God's power towards us believe who according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ Jesus. What he raised him at from the dead and, and it just, just didn't raise him from the dead, but he goes on to, and he placed and he placed him at the right hand above all things, above rule, authority, power, and dominion, to place all things under his feet, and placed him as the head of over all things. This is the self glorifying, consuming power of God. Then turn to Acts. And you see that God continues to work through the hearts of men and of women. So just through, differently now, it's through the Gospel being preached. So in Acts 10, there's Peter preaching toward Cornelius. The Holy Spirit falls. It wasn't Cornelius. It wasn't his own strength. It was hearing the Gospel, friends. That's why we share the Gospel. That's why we rehearse these truths every week. Chances are you're, you're not really being told anything you don't know, but it's this rehearsing of the Gospel. Over and over again. So the God, power of God is on display and Cornelius comes to faith. And then finally, friends, we begin in Genesis and we see it and then it also ends in Revelation. Where we see this creating power of God is once again at work with the new heavens and the new earth. This glorious time that we long for here in this flesh, that we will see our Savior face to face. This marvelous time. So friend, Paul commands us, he commends us to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. And it's freely, it's it's on display. Turn to a page in the Bible. It's on display. Friends, so that makes us ask, 
Is it freely displayed in your own life? This self-consuming, self-glorifying power of God, is that on display in your own life? And here's how you know. And, and you might think, as an aside, you might think that it's in the big crisis when you find out. So 9-11 hits, as Americans, we flock to church. Well, that's not really a good indication of the spiritual um, attitude of a country. Because it lasts for several weeks, but then it fades off. But friends, I think the best indicator is in the little things of life. In the seemingly mundane things of life. That's your best indicator. So you ask yourself, has your spiritual hunger ever eclipsed your physical hunger? And maybe it has. For several days, you fasted, and on your 20, 30, 40, or 60 years life here in life, you've given up eight meals. You know, prepare the way of the Lord. Good job. You've boldly given up eight meals. So th- consider your typical day. You wake up. It's much earlier than you want. You make your way to the kitchen. You perhaps have to find a kid laying in the hallway or something like that. You work your way around them. You go to the kitchen and you either get caffeine or you get some calories. Or if you have some of Brad's leftover coffee, you get all one in one concoction. You get the calories and the caffeine. And it's marvelous. And we, we feed this insatiable hunger, but then several hours later, this hunger again begins to dictate our moods and our actions. And what we do... So have you ever longed for the Word of God? Having only eaten of its sweetness several hours later, have you been drawn back to the Word of God? Only being separated from it for several hours. So at lunch, we change the whole middle portion, the whole middle of our day is structured so we can eat. Do we structure the middle of our day, or our days as a whole, so that we can feast upon God and His goodness and upon the Word of God? So friends, look, over the past week, when you see your actions in your life, what do they declare? What is sustaining you? Is it physical or is it spiritual? But physical and not just food, but is your prestige or how you think of yourself or what other people might think of you or what car you drive or what house you have. Is it physical or is it spiritual that's sustaining you? And this is a difficult question. That's why it's here at the end, right? So Paul's crescendoing up to this point. And it's a difficult one because it goes against the natural man. And it it humbles our pride and it exposes our weakness as we begin to ponder, am I doing this in and of myself? Or am I casting myself at the feet of God? Saying, God, I have nothing. May you be glorified as you strengthen me. So friends, up to this point, we've just been kind of hovering over verse 10 here. And we see that God has created the world and that He sustains the world. He has control over the hearts of rulers, not only our hearts, but the hearts of these earthly rulers and the nations themselves rise and fall. And this power is displayed as He raises Jesus Christ Himself from the dead. And again, will be displayed for the longing that we have when all things will be made new. So, we come to ask ourselves, why? Why must I be strengthened in the Lord? So let's go back to the text here, verses 11 and 12. We're going to see why 
we should be strengthened in the Lord. Verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now, several years ago, I lived for a little while in Nepal, and at that time, they were in the throes of a civil war. One of the frustrating things about that civil war is that it wasn't like the American Civil War or the English Civil War with Oliver Cromwell, where they had different uniforms and they were standing on different sides of the valley shooting at each other. It was really evident who your enemy was. One of the frustrating things about the Civil War in Nepal that they had to get over and, and deal with was you didn't know who your enemy was. He could be walking down the street right beside you. He could be the guy that left his bag on the bus and got off and he's going to detonate it. So you don't know who your, who your enemy is. And you can only react after the skirmish, but the damage is already done. It's the same thing in our, our Christian walk. We have to acknowledge that Satan is there, right? We, we have to Acknowledge that under the providence and the sovereignty of God, Satan is allowed to lead people, as we see in chapter 2, down the path of destruction as we follow the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. But there's there's kind of a, a, not surprisingly, there's a balance of it. You can overestimate this power of Satan or you can underestimate it. So when you overestimate it, you have this classic paganism is what you end up with. And you have uh, this pantheon of gods. Some are good and some are evil. The ones that are good might be a little bit stronger than the ones that are evil, but not strong enough to defeat evil. And so you end up with having this, you have no hope is what you have. Because you can't look to this all-consuming Sovereign God who can control everything. And so you end up not having any hope because if the gods, if the good gods can't prevail over the evil gods, how, how, how am I going to do it? How am I going to do it? And in Christianity, we see that overestimating the power of Satan ultimately leaves you also in fear. And it warps your understanding of God and leaves Him to be much less than the sovereign creator who dictates the history and the future of men. So that's overestimating the power of Satan. When you underestimate the power of Satan, um, so in, in Baptist circles, even considering, even in Reformed circles, even smaller, sometimes, we, you know, like I said, we forget that he exists and we swim. We love the book of Romans. We'll talk about the depravity of man. And we told, we'll go to Romans 5 and talk about the federal headship of Adam. Not a word about the serpent who was there who deceived Adam and Eve. We'll talk about the depravity of man, but we won't talk about the one that God used. So in, in the Christian walk, not acknowledging Satan, you don't have to be fearful, but not acknowledging Satan can leave your soul in peril. So Jesus Christ Himself was tempted by Satan out in the world. Don't you think you're going to be tempted by Satan? As we go through this wilderness, of course we are, friends. So that's why First uh, Peter chapter 5, Peter is admonishing them, be alert and of sober mind. 
Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. So what do you, what do, you do? You know, Realizing that there is the enemy out there, what do you do? Over this next week, just realize, have this expand or, or fill in your category of sin and how you think of it and realize that it's not just this sin that is, that is objective, that is outside of you, but friends, your sin is this roaring lion who wants to consume you and wants to destroy your soul. So you're not just indulging in a little bit of sin, friends. No, you are giving yourself over to this Satan who wants to, who wants to shipwreck your faith. So that's why we have so many warnings as we see in, in Hebrews, Hebrews 10. There's so many warnings for Christians. And we're, we're not doubting the sovereignty of God, but we have to acknowledge there are these warnings out there for Christians to resist Satan. So, before we go on to this last point, we just have to mention, praise be to God. Praise be to God. When you go to Revelation, and Satan himself is defeated, not with his great battle, but just with the Word, just with a breath. Our sovereign and loving God has, will defeat our enemy. The same God that has been pursuing you and telling you to live in, your, in the strength of Him so you don't, you don't have to be worried or fearful. Have the life of fear. As we see in so many idolatrous nations and countries and other religions where it's, they're doing the right thing, but it's motivated out of fear. It's not motivated out of love. So praise be to God that soon, soon, very soon, my friends, our enemy will be defeated. So number three, we, see, we want to be strong in the Lord. So we see that what the strength of the Lord is, it's, it's displayed throughout all of, the, all of the Scripture. It's displayed in your life. And now we know why Paul is telling us to stand in the strength of the Lord. Because there's an enemy out there who wants to defeat us. And he can, because we're nothing. We have nothing. So if you try to do it in and of yourselves, of course Satan can toy with you and he can play with you. But you can't when you stand in the strength of the Lord. So how do you do it? Number three, how to be strong in the Lord. Let's finish out the verses. Verses 13 down to 17. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one and take on the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, from the, from just as a disclaimer from the outset, I'm not going to pretend to be a military or an expert on military vestments from the first century. I, I really know nothing about modern military. I know even less than uh, about uh, first century military and, and what they might be wearing. But I do know about God. 
So that's what we're going to be focusing on. So the first thing we want is draws our attention is that we put on the whole armor of God. This truth, this righteousness, the gospel of peace, faith and salvation, the Spirit and the Word of God, friends. The Christian life is rather robust. It's not this simple life of legalism. It's not just praying these rote prayers and then dismissing everything else. Or paying money and dismissing everything else, friends. It's a robust life and that should not surprise you because the God we serve is an infinite God. So it's only natural that the Christian life would be a robust life as well. So the... That was a minor point. The main thrust that we want to see here in these verses, 13 through 17, is that if you want to be strengthened in the Lord, it's not going to come about by your natural defaults. It's going to come by something outside of you. It's going to come by God Himself. So children, to be strong in the Lord, it will not come through your parents. But it comes through righteousness and the Word of God and the Gospel of peace coming alive in your hearts. So friends, all of us, we can't resist the devil through your piety or through your righteousness or through your devotion to God. But rather, we look to where all of these things come from. And we're going to see that they are all from God Himself. So look at the truth. It's not relative, but friends, we see in John 1, and the Word came, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and of truth. And later on in the Gospel of John, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through Me, friends. So this, this truth is of God. And it's beautifully manifested in Jesus Christ Himself. That's truth. Righteousness. Well, we, we, we don't look to our own. We look to the righteousness of Christ, don't we? And the Gospel of peace, we see that the Gospel is the good news, not about man and our innate goodness, but about the good news about Jesus Christ. This, this good news about Jesus Christ being fully God and fully man, coming down to take the wrath of the Father so that we might be seen as adopted sons of God. That we might not drink of His wrath. That we might not endure the same punishment that those who do follow the course of this world and the prince of the power of the air. The same wrath that they will partake of. We see faith as well, which is the working of the Spirit in our lives. And then we see the salvation, which is not brought about by our will, but is a gift from God. As we see it in Ephesians chapter 2, we see, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing, but it is a gift of God. So friends, in all of these things, we see that we can be strengthened of the Lord. So what do we do? What do we do? Just wrapping this up. Repent. Repent. We are nothing, my friends. We are nothing. Yet we try to do it in and of ourselves. And it's very difficult. So this was written to the Ephesians 2,000 years ago. And it's been preached ever since then. But it's applicable every time it's preached because we are natural men who try to do it in and of ourselves. So friends, repent. Repent. 
So we, we try to do it on ourselves, but just we, so you can humble yourself and try to reconcile with your spouse. But you can't in and of yourself. Or if you're addicted to pornography and you're trying to get over this in and of yourself, in and of your own strength, friends, you can't. You can't. Or if you're trying to tame your tongue or be patient with your children, you can't. You can't do it apart from the strength of the Lord, my friends. So I want to commend you to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. That you might not fall prey to the one who is seeking to destroy you and to devour your soul. But that you will put on the armor of God. That He might be glorified in our weakness as we cast ourselves at His feet. Let us pray. Gracious Father, we, we rejoice. We rejoice that we can cry out to You, that we can come to You as, as frail men and women. I ask that You would convict us of our sins. So often we, we try to do it in and of ourselves and we're tired, God. We are tired. I pray that in this weakness and in our frustration that we would come to You. That we would have the Christian lives that are surrounded by Your Word and by faith and by righteousness and truth. Pray that You would keep us over this next week. That we would realize that there is One who wants to devour us, but there is One who is much greater, God. And that is You. So we thank You for Your redeeming, redeeming love that has come down and saved us. Amen.